Hi, guys. We are so glad that you've joined us for another episode of Going There Today. We did want to just preface this conversation first and foremost, as we will be talking about a sensitive topic today, which is human trafficking. And sadly, this is just a part of the broken world. And so we want to make sure just to say that at the beginning of the conversation, if you choose not to listen to this episode, if that is triggering or hard for you to listen to. But we hope that this conversation actually fills you with hope and encouragement and fills you with a sense of wanting to advocate and stand up for how we can report and suspect and be a part of releasing people from this type of slavery. So join us in conversation today with Chandler, but also if it's maybe not smart for you, that's fine too. Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because yep, we're We're going going there. there. Hello, we are back again, and it's like we're far into the spring now, which is kind of weird. I know. We're getting well, okay, there when it comes out. Yeah, I was going to say, let's be it's honest. Weird. It's still February where we are, but where we live, we have a guest, I guess I should say. We have our friend Chandler here with us. And Chandler, you live in Texas. Where in Texas? I'm in Austin, Texas. Austin. Okay, so you're probably warm all the time. We've had you warm weather. You guys just weather. got out of like an ice storm, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? we had a really random ice storm where the rest of Texas kind of got snow and then we got just ice and so it broke all of our trees. So we spent a majority of the city was out of electricity and hot water for a week. Which is yeah. crazy because like so. you guys don't even have like the infrastructure in the city to like support that. Yeah. We're like we have ice trucks out like all the time or like, you know, salt yeah. trucks, yeah. I should say. But anyway, yes. it's now well into the spring. So welcome Chandler, our new friend. Yes. So thanks Hi. for coming on yes. the podcast today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, y'all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was telling Chandler, Christian had asked me, I think I was the one that was like, oh, we should interview her. I follow her on Instagram. She's mom. She does these Bible studies. And I just like love what you share. And Christian's like, how do you know about this girl? And I I was like, I think it's because her sister was famous on Vine, which that is such a throwback. OG, (laughs) like back in the day. I was in college. Honestly, Yeah, I think I was probably like late high school, early college. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So weird. She was in high school and I was actually a high school teacher. And so oh I would gosh. walk in on like the first day of school and my students would be like, oh, we recognize you. That's <laughs> so funny. Her. Oh, that's Did Crazy someone buy out Vine or like what happened to Vine? I don't know. Do you know? Instagram incorporated video and okay. then Vine just lost its luster and it just went under. It really was Sad. like the <laughs> precursor to TikTok if you think yeah. about it. Like she could easily pick back up on TikTok. Maybe she does. I don't know. Yeah. We're not on, <laughs> we're like, not on that famous. One. Yeah. But anyways, Chandler, <laughs> welcome. We're excited to chat with you today. And as Samantha said, you're a mom, but tell us more about your life. What do you do? And yeah, just tell us about who you are. Yes. So I am a mom and a wife. That's like my, other than being a Christian, that's my number one. And I have three children now. I've got an eight-year-old son. I call him B online. I have an almost five-year-old daughter. We call her A online. And then baby Lou is what we call the third baby. We just had her in October. So we had to work real hard for her. And I am so, so grateful that we have her and just living in this kind of state of like we're on cloud nine in this season with adding her to our families. She's four months now. And then outside of being a mom and a wife, I run a ministry off of Instagram. So I originally started as a wellness influencer and blogger and started this 
blog that kind of interested wellness and faith because that was my life. I have autoimmune disease and had to kind of incorporate wellness strategies into my life before they were cool. And so as it became cool, people had a lot of questions for me. So I just started sharing that, but you can eat healthy all you want and exercise all you want. But if you are harboring anger or resentment, some of those more faith, spiritual sides of wellness, you're still going to have inflammation. Your body is not going to function the way it's supposed to. And so that's where faith really intersects. And so the whole purpose of that was to help women grow as Jesus did in Luke 2.52 in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and in favor with man. To me, that's the best model for holistic wellness. But in 2020, I launched it as an online publication in 2019. And then in 2020, all my writers were also moms at home. And we had to become full-time mom, full-time chef, full-time... Teacher. Yeah. Yeah, all the same. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of went on hold. And during 2020, I walked through something really crazy and traumatic and scary that kind of shifted priorities for me when it came to living out my faith. I wanted to obviously encourage women. I love to teach off the Bible. I write devotionals and speak to women. So I was really to encourage women in their faith. But the Lord brought in a really crazy way the aspect of justice and seeking justice as a part of faith as well and living out your faith. And so that's kind of, I'm still in this kind of waiting period to see where he's taking all of this, but I've turned my ear a lot to advocacy work and sex trafficking and online exploitation, how to keep our children safe. Yeah. Okay. So just jumping into all of that, I followed you for a while and kind of remember you sharing your story for the first time and that shift then in your content. And I've personally learned a lot from it. And so that's why we wanted to have you on. But could you just start out by telling us a little bit about your personal story, what you're willing to share? Yeah, absolutely. So in 2020, in February 2020, I attended a conference. And that conference was led by Christine Kane, who I absolutely love. love. Yes, we love her. She's amazing. And so she talked a lot about her journey in fighting trafficking with her organization that she started called A21. And so that was kind of the first real interest that I demonstrated in the topic. I had heard about it. You know, I'd seen the movie Taken, but really starting that February. And then obviously the pandemic hit. And that entire summer, I just was kind of looking into it, ways to get involved, how to make a difference, studying up on it. But it wasn't, it was something I kind of felt like the Lord was putting on my heart, but I really wasn't ready to act on it. Just kind of getting my feet wet. What is it? What does it look like? How could I difference? And then I call that disobedience because the Lord was putting it on my heart for a reason. And I'm not saying that what happened in October was punishment for disobedience, but delayed obedience is disobedience. And so I'd asked him to break my heart for what breaks his, but I didn't want my heart to break all the way. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then in October, 2020, I was in charge of my younger sisters, the the Vine famous sister. She was getting married. her bachelorette party. And so instead of going to Mexico, like we had, we had originally thought because of the pandemic, we thought, well, you know, we'll just keep it in the U S in October, things were kind of opening up a bit. People were still kind of scared. So all of us were staying in the entire floor of a really nice hotel, the 23rd floor in Bell Harbor, Miami. And I planned everything inside the hotel, except for a boat ride. And I think we had gone to dinner one night. So we weren't going to clubs. We weren't going out. I wanted to keep everyone safe and healthy. So the first night we had like karaoke night inside one of the rooms and the girls were just real silly and stuff. But the second 
night, Saturday night, we had the lingerie shower and everyone had matching pajamas and then I made it pitbull themed. And so everyone had bald caps. <laughs> okay, love um, that. <laughs> with their matching pajamas. So it's like, we're not That's talking amazing. like a, yeah, yeah. this is not like a very sexy bachelorette party. Like, you weren't going out weird... in typical Miami style of what yeah. we're thinking yeah. with like the skin type <laughs> body cons. At the clerks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the clerks. Like, yeah. This is the funny. This crazy is where we would want to be. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yes. I'm like, sign me up yeah. for that. That sounds yeah, fun. Yeah. So we ordered pizza. We were in our pajamas, and about halfway through, and the pizza was through. Everything was through catering at the hotel because you know they didn't even have room service. So about halfway through the night, I started to get this pretty bad migraine, and I have to eat gluten free. I was the only person who had gluten free pizza, and just this migraine kind of overtook me. And I thought, you know, this is I don't feel well. And I'm usually the life of the party. So for me to walk out of the party tells you I really wasn't feeling well. So I turned to one of my sisters, the one who I was sharing a room with. And I was like, hey, I'm going to go lay down. I don't feel great. And so I walked down the hall, you know, 800 feet down to my room that I was sharing with my sister. And I thought, you know what? I want to sit in the dark and I want to turn on the shower and let the water run over my head. So I sat down on the floor of the shower the lights were all off. The water was running over my head. And I was in about as vulnerable of a position that a person can be in, naked, wet, on the floor, and incapacitated with a headache. So a few minutes go by, and I hear the door open to my hotel room, and I think it's my sister. And I see what I think is my sister, her shadow, walk past the bathroom down towards where you know, the bed was in the closet. And, you know, a few more minutes go by and I'm kind of mad at her because I'm like, she knows I don't feel well. Clearly I'm sitting in a dark shower. Why hasn't she checked on me? You know, like (laughs) how rude, you know, because I would be checking on her, you know, typical sister stuff. And a few minutes go by about eight minutes and I hear banging on my door, my bedroom door. And I'm also like, well, did she leave? And I didn't know. Did she like, why is someone banging on my door? So I get up. And knowing the only person who would bang on my door like that is my mother, I didn't even grab a towel. I just walked dripping water. I had this horrible headache and I opened the door and standing in the doorway, my sister, who I had thought was in the room with me and my mother. And as they're kind of going, are you okay? What's going on? I see them look behind me and down towards where the bed was and with like a look of horror. And I turn around and I see that there's been a man in the room. He's been in the room with me that whole time. So what I thought was my sister walking in the room was actually a predator. And, you know, he was in like a crouched position. So he was like waiting and hiding and wait for me by the bed. And he came around the corner and was trying to smooth talk. And he was very good looking, very clean cut. He was wearing, I mean, he looked like he belonged in that nice hotel in a really nice area Miami, you know, blazer, a little V-neck underneath. He had two shopping bags with him. So he was clearly in the wrong room. And so then as we started to say, what are you doing here? Keep in mind, I'm completely undressed. So a man who was in the wrong place, (laughs) seeing a naked woman would go, oh my gosh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. You know, none of that. So he knew what he was there for. And once he realized pretty quickly that we were not the type of people to say, get out of here, you know, you sicko. We were like the type of people to say, who the heck do you think you are? You're going to sit right here until the police get here. And so once he realized that we weren't going to let him run, he then tried to kind of get through us out the door. And so a, a fight ensued, a struggle. And at this point, the girls down the hall could hear and he, 
I get into the floor. I mean, I'm a fighter, I found out in this situation. And long story short, it spills out into the hallway. All these girls come running, which, by the way, in matching pajamas and bald caps. So, Gosh. I mean, I'm sure he... It adds a little element of, yeah. of funny to the yes. whole story, thinking about the bald like, caps. Yeah, I didn't know what I was like, walking into. Yes. He's like, I messed yeah. with the wrong people <laughs> with this. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, you know, we were able to kind of keep him in the elevator and hold the doors open. And once he realized there were so many of us, my brother-in-law had come on the bachelorette party because my sister had just had a baby. So he was like, hold up in the room to kind of take care of the baby so she could enjoy the fun of the weekend. So when we finally got him out there and he realized there was a man, he really calmed down and just kind of got quiet. And the police came, they took him away. And I was just thinking oh, he was there to steal my things. I didn't want to think what he could have been there to do to me, but I was really concerned about my items. So when I was talking to the police officers, I said, hey, we're leaving tomorrow. Can I go through and make sure that I get back? And he was attempting to steal from me and said, you could, like, you can see it for record. And he was like, absolutely. So we go through his bags and he'd been in the room with me eight to 10 minutes. We had our computers. I had money out, my jewelry, nice bags. I mean, we had everything out ready for the taking and he did not take a single thing. But however, what was in his bags was really concerning. And the police at this point were like, stop touching things. This is an investigation. So we had a rag. We don't know what was on the rag, but we had a rag and he had what appeared to be a change of clothes for him, what appeared to be a change of clothes for me, a mask for each of us, a hat, which we think was going to go on my head. He had a key to a hotel room at another hotel. I mean, he had just some really unique things with him that led us and the investigators to believe that his intention was to remove me from the property. And as this investigation unfolded, we learned more about him, more about who other inmates were saying he might be connected to and what his intentions were. And very quickly, I realized just how real and how prevalent human trafficking actually is. The next morning, we were flying home. And of course, I was in this state of shock from what had happened the night before. And I went to the airport and decided to wash my hands because you know it's COVID. Wash your hands after you touch everything. So I go in the bathroom just to wash my hands. And I'm washing my hands and I look up in the mirror to look at myself in this state of shock. And if anybody's walked through trauma, they would know that you feel, for lack of a better word, you feel drunk in the days and the weeks afterwards. So I just felt disoriented and thought if I could see myself, maybe I'd recognize myself. So I looked in the mirror and I couldn't see myself because there was a piece of paper on the mirror hanging in front of me. And I, I leaned my head around and saw myself in the mirror fixed my hair. And then I went back and looked at the piece of paper and the piece of paper said, human trafficking awareness. This is the face of trafficking victims. And it had faces of three or four women on the front of it. And it had the hotline number, if you suspect trafficking, yada, yada. And I realized like right then and there, it hit me like a ton of bricks that those women on that piece of paper are God's children. And there is no reason other than because of the grace of God that I'm not on that piece of paper. And I have for so long turned my head around and looked around the metaphorical paper at the people who have needed voice and the people who have needed someone to come to their aid and focused on myself. When now the Lord has literally put me in a position where the only reason that I was standing on my own two feet because the Lord intervened through my mom and my sister. My mom just had this gut feeling to come check on me as moms do. And I thought, I need to start being a voice for these women as well. 
Oh my goodness, Chandler. I have so many chills hearing that story and just watching you kind of like relive that and walk through it. And I think what strikes me about it is we hear these stories about trafficking or, okay, in our town, we live really right in the middle of the main intersection that goes throughout the U.S., I-70, like truckers. And so we always will get these Facebook messages, you know, that kind of go around, these posts that kind of go around. And it's so easy for me to kind of blow them off. I tend to be more of a optimist or like realist and things of like, oh my gosh, okay, that's a rumor that got started. Or I can easily think like, okay, People that are taken in that are putting themselves maybe in, not that this makes them any less valuable or makes it any less sad, but it's this self-preservation of like, okay, no, they're looking for a certain person or they're only going to attack or take people that maybe fit a certain demographic or putting themselves in a situation, which is like really wrong anyways. But all that to say, like the fact that this happened to you in such a way that just like seemed like, okay, I was safe. I was with all these people on this floor at this like safe hotel is really crazy to think about. And I think it starts there for us is like we have to recognize that like no one is above having this happen. But will you talk through a little bit like post, I guess, this tragic event? Like what has God taught you about everything that happened? Yes. Well, it took me a while. This happened in October 2020, and I did not go public with my story until May 2021. So the Lord and I had to wrestle quite a bit. And I think that that's something that we, especially as Christian women, we don't talk about a lot, that when God calls us to things, our inclination oftentimes is like, why, how could you do this to me? (laughs) And while carrying the trauma and healing from that, I had a moment with God, several moments where I was like, I love you and I trust you and I think you are so good, but I am not ready to go here. I just don't want to go here. I like my happy little bubble with my little Christian community. And I want to share happy Bible verses and I don't want to talk about this. So all that is to say that I learned that while wrestling with the Lord, you know, you read in in the book of Exodus that Moses, when he was called to go back into Egypt, he actually argued with God. And he shows five different times in a row that he argued with God. And of course it made God annoyed, right? Of course he was like, dude, I'm giving you answers. But sometimes the greatest act of faith is going to God with the things that you feel like you shouldn't be able to bring to Him. And so wrestling with Him and dealing that. So personally, I had to walk through quite a bit of of wrestling with Him and what that meant for me. But in terms of what I have learned about human trafficking, what I have learned about God's children, about God's goodness, despite the evil in the world, I have learned that for a vast, vast, vast majority of women, they do not have stories like what mine is. Mine is really sensational. Mine is the type of story that you you know make it a lifetime movie out of, right? Like an abduction attempt. In fact, there are so many, the stories like mine can actually do harm to the anti-trafficking movement because there are women who are being trafficked and who are essentially being forced into labor against their will that have no idea that they're trafficked because they weren't abducted. It's usually so much more nuanced than that. And so I'm learning about 
what makes someone vulnerable or susceptible to trafficking. And oftentimes these predators seek after someone with, oftentimes 99% of the time, they seek after someone with vulnerabilities that are already there. Foster children who feel like they don't belong, runaways who don't have anyone fighting for them. Women who are fighting poverty or who have a history of sexual abuse or abuse in their families. All of these would be an ideal person for a trafficker to identify and then exploit. And so I've learned a lot about what victims typically look like. And I'm not saying that does not happen the way that it happened in my case. Obviously, that's a true story and it does happen. And we hear stories about, you know, I was being followed and target by a group and you know, that stuff does happen, but those types of stories require a trafficker to be really, really ballsy. I'm sorry for saying that oh, word. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but you can realistically make a lot of money exploiting someone in really nuanced ways really quickly. So oftentimes it's a woman falling in love with her boyfriend and the boyfriend saying, here, I'll take care of you and your child and I'll help you out of poverty. Why don't you move in with me or move to the city? So they separate them from any of community that they've had. And then I've heard survivors that I've spoken with say that they arrived in that city or they moved in and they think that this is their happy ending. And that boyfriend will say, well, you know, I've spent a lot of money on you. So you're going to have to step in and listen, I'm going to take you here and this is what you're going to do. And it's just going to be a one-time thing. And there's actually been reported a handbook out there, (laughs) which is so horrible to think of essentially how to traffic somebody. And in there, the wording is once you get her to do it once, she'll do it forever. And so it's this emotional exploitation that essentially traps people into this horrendous cycle where they can't necessarily get out of it. And then if they do get out of it, I have found and learned that we have a really, really unfortunate way of helping survivors in this country, especially government-wise and how we criminalize prostitution, which obviously it should be against the law, but we oftentimes criminalize the prostitute first before even considering who might be forcing her into that. And so in these situations, women are afraid they're going to lose their children. They're afraid that the police are not there to help them. And so even if it comes down to helping someone escape and run from their trafficker, which is very dangerous for these people, they're inclined to trust their trafficker more than to trust a police officer. And so oftentimes what we find is when a woman leaves trafficking, it usually takes about eight times, eight attempts to leave because they'll go back to that life because the world, we do not have a world that's easy to help them. Their vulnerabilities were there in the first place and they've been re-exploited. And then now they're even more vulnerable because they have all this other trauma on top of it. And unfortunately, a lot of women, they die before that eighth time. Mm -hmm. As you talk, my stomach is like turning. I'm just like, that makes me so sick. I think this is one of those topics that like most of us think like that would never be me. Like we know it's out there kind of like what we're all saying. Like we've seen the posters, we see the billboards. We're like, that could never be me. So like even as obviously as like this is a part of your story and this is how God is saying like, no, I'm going to put this on you and you're going to become an advocate and you've got to like spread your voice. What do you wish people knew about human trafficking? Obviously, like we can all read statistics and things, but what is like maybe one of those big things that you're like, I wish people understood this about it? That's a great question, by the way. <laughs> Your life touches trafficking already. You have 
in your life interacted with someone who is being exploited or someone who is funding trafficking through demand. And that comes in lots of different ways. The average Joe, the man who is buying sex, the average Joe is a white male in his 30s and 40s of when we talk about social economic status of middle class to high class. So you have interacted with a Joe and you have interacted probably with someone who has been exploited either in person or online. And the second thing that I wish people understood, and it's a topic, I know we're talking with Christian women. So it's, I'm about to say a word that I know everybody has this weird like reaction when they hear it. But when we're talking about porn, porn is the driving demand that leads someone to buy sex, period. And not only is it driving the demand, trafficking is supplying the product for these porn websites. So you hear time and time and time again, there's been a big fight against Pornhub because women are saying, I was raped and a video of it was put on Pornhub or children have been harmed or hurt and that video has been put on Pornhub and it is being watched and watched and watched and watched and people are making tons of money off of it. But even then you see that that cycle, it's a sick cycle that porn supplies the demand for sex buying because a man average man who does end up buying sex has been watching and engaging in porn for a long, long time. And so what you find is that eventually their sex life at home isn't fulfilling them. The more you watch, the less likely you're going to have to add, you know, something more violent or something more crazy to it to make you feel the way that you used to feel when you just saw something softcore as a teenager. And so it numbs men to the point where if they're going to feel, and women, this is not just men, but men mostly are the ones buying sex, like by the vast majority. When they feel so numb, they have to then add more and more and more to it. And, you know, more and more your spouse home is probably not going to be interested in doing what you're asking her to do. So then I'll just buy some time with someone who will. So then that once you start, it's a really slippery slope. And so as you find, like there was a situation in Frisco, Texas, which is right outside Dallas, a very well-to-do neighborhood. And our task force in Dallas closed in on, I think there were 46 men total, a youth pastor at a church a coach at a local high school, CEOs, men that are high achievers. This is not happening in the middle of nowhere. This is happening in our neighborhoods. And I think for me, my big surprise is I was here at this bachelorette party with these darling 25-year-old girls. And here I am, I've had two kids. I'm pretty sure I'd forgotten to shave my legs before I put my bathing suit on that day. I mean, I to me, I thought there would be about me that somebody would choose. And none of us are exempt from it. It affects and touches every single person in every walk of life. And so you could have a mom at your child's preschool drop-off that you see day after day who is being exploited between the hours of drop-off and pickup. And you may have no idea it's happening. So that would be the thing I would want people to know the most. 
That's good. I remember it's weird. It's jogging my memory. I went to Passion in high school. I was a senior in high school. So that would have been like 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. And that year was kind of this big launch at Passion. Christine Kane had spoken and they were like starting this mission, which I know at least for a few years after they continued, because I talked to friends who went back to Passion of ending slavery. And I remember some of the statistics being like, you know, there's more slavery going on right now, like across the street from you than there ever has been in history. And we have to kind of change our mindset to think, yeah, like these women, just because they're not maybe handcuffed to a door, maybe some are tragically, it's like they could still be living in this slavery because they're like you were talking about this emotional, this physical need manipulation of like they don't have any other choice. And so Chandler, kind of as we wrap up this conversation and move towards the end of it, what are some ways that we, you know, like you were saying earlier, we're probably not going to be the ones that are maybe targeted or these stories like what happened to you probably won't happen to us. But how can we be allies to women who are living like this, like you said, at our preschool or across the street or in our communities? What can we do to take action? Yeah, that's such a great question. You know, the first thing that I always tell people is educate, research, learn. There are some amazing Instagram accounts that have been so helpful to me. One of them is Exodus Cry, E Exodus Cry, all one word, fight the new drug, all one word. That's talking about specifically both of those accounts talk about how porn exploits and helps the trafficking movement and harms the anti-trafficking movement. There are also a lot of survivors that are bravely sharing what they know. And, you know, I'm not a survivor. By the grace of God, I'm not one. And I always want to turn people's attention to the voices of survivors. They are going to be the ones that tell you exactly what we need to know about how we can actually help survivors. So Rebecca Bender is a really great resource. I I adore her. her. Yeah. Yeah. And there are several others. So and once you kind of start following one, you'll see because they work together to put an end to this. And then once you've educated and you've learned about it, we need to be having these conversations and having these conversations with people around us, with our communities. And one of the things that we can learn are the warning signs. And I won't go into all the warning signs because they differ, especially if we're talking about a minor, a high school student versus a, a woman. But once you know those warning signs, just keep your eyes open. I've actually had conversations with people who then have come back to me and been like, hey, after you share with me what you've learned, I that the lady that's working at the donut shop, her story is just not adding up and making sense. And I'm like, if you've got that gut feeling, let's call the hotline. They can send a professional in to investigate and see, learn. And so I think other people, once you start having these conversations, people can start looking. And then the second thing I would say is I approach anti-trafficking as a mother, as a Christian woman, we need to be approaching it three different ways. One, education and advocacy about human trafficking. And that's a lot like talking about it, learning about it, figuring out. Number two is talking about porn and understanding what porn does and how they're the same. They're one and the same. But then talking about porn automatically will lead any woman who has children to talk about, well, then how do I keep my child safe? Not only from the effects, the negative effects of a relationship with porn can have on my child, but on how do I keep my child safe from exploitation? Because once you start realizing what trafficking is, we need to be start talking to our children about safe relationships and not 
not just from abuse because this is a form of abuse, but we always talk to them about what it looks like signs of abuse, physical abuse, right? But this is, this is exploitation at a whole different level. And so when our children don't know how to embark into healthy relationships and to trust their parents to bring something like I saw porn to them, then we have this kind of weird area where they are vulnerable and what they access online can be really, really detrimental. And so someone that I would recommend following for that is a girl named Kate J. Osteen. Kate, her account is K-A-T-E-J-O-S-E-E-N. She does a great job of talking about what online exploitation actually looks like, how to protect our children. There's lots of companies out there that do the same thing because, you know, we teach our kids stranger danger. And then they go sit in their back of their rooms for hours on end with a device that gives them access to thousands of strangers. And so what, how do we keep them safe there? And then how do we help survivors? Survivors are the people who have the most likely chance of pulling others out through their victory stories and through who they know. They know other people, other women who are being victimized as we speak. And so how can we best support and love our traffickers and our trafficking victims? So how do we best support them? And so there are lots of organizations a21 has homes, safe homes where there where victims or survivors of trafficking can come and find rehabilitation services. But there are lots of local organizations as well that I would say give your money to those organizations, not to the big names. They're great. They're doing wonderful things. Operation Underground Railroad, yes, that's amazing, but where the real work is happening is happening in the lives of those survivors and allowing them to not have to go back. So you can actually genuinely have an impact on ending trafficking from that one particular trafficker, from that one particular woman by helping her survive and go back into the real world. Hmm. Will you tell us about that hotline really quick too? So I've never even heard of that. I mean, I know there's hotlines for abuse or domestic violence and things like that or child violence, but what is the hotline that you can call? Yes, it's the Human Trafficking Hotline. And I will make sure that I get you guys the numbers and everything because there's several different ones. There's also, if you suspect that a child is being trafficked, you can call the hotline. I would call the hotline immediately. But also the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is a great organization to reach out to as well work oftentimes in this space because we have missing foster children or missing runaways who they're missing because they're being trafficked. And so there are lots of different, I will make sure I get you all those different numbers, but the hotline especially is really important because you can report what you see. And then you can also, if you suspect that you are being trafficked or exploited, You can also even reach out via text. They have a text messaging number and that number absolutely exploded during 2020 when people, they might be being exploited online. So they've actually never had to leave their homes, but they're being exploited online. How do I get help? Where do I start? Where do I begin? There's a text message one. So I'll make sure that I incorporate all that so that you guys can put those in the notes as well. Yeah, we'll want to make sure to share that. As you talk, I hate like I hate that that's reality. But as you just say, like the more we talk about it, the more we are educated. When you say that statistic of like most of us have been probably encountered this, we just don't know it because it probably is someone who's sitting next to us at the DMV or like as we go through the grocery store or someone who we even know more intimately that, you know, like someone in our community. And I hate that about us as humans. But obviously, as we become more aware and as we talk more about things, we learn more and we can be better advocates. And so 
as Christians, as people who obviously value how God created other people and the value and purpose they bring to life, like we have to be advocates for this. It's not something that we can just turn away from because like we are called to love others and love what God has created. And so I really appreciate you sharing your story in that. Just ending on a little lighter note, we will make sure to like put all of that stuff in our show notes and I'll make sure to connect with you so we get all of that stuff right because I want to make sure people know. But obviously, your faith plays a huge role in your life. And so I just want to dig in a little bit because we love following you on Instagram and following your content of your Wednesday Bible study. And then I recently saw your like 40 sacred days that you did at the beginning of the year. But talk to us about those things, just your passion for sharing God's word and teaching women. I want to hear a little bit about it. Yes, absolutely. So I started an online Bible study. This is our fifth year. So it's almost been a full five years ago. And it has been just so amazing to see just how the Lord has (laughs) grown that. I used to live in Dallas. And so I moved during the pandemic back to Austin and to watch how it is stuck around in Dallas. And now we've got a group in Austin and we have women who meet in their homes in Cincinnati or Chicago or Mexico City or Florida who tune in on Wednesday nights or they watch it later. So every single Wednesday night, I go live teaching about the Bible. And if I don't go live, I'll let you know if it's, you know, we're canceling. But Wednesday night, 7.15 Central Time on Instagram. And once again, I have lots and lots of women who listen to it later in the week or watch it later in the week. This year, we are reading the Bible in one year. It's our second time to do it. And that has been, it is always the most transformative thing. The first time I did it, it changed everything for my faith. And so if that's something that you thought like maybe would never be attainable, you can just jump right in. We're only like a month and a half in. So just jump right in with us. It's really fun. And then outside of that, I always love to come and speak to women's groups. I talk about things other than trafficking too. (laughs) I am passionate about teaching the Bible and equipping women to live out their faith in their lives and to be where their feet are. And then the 40 sacred days was just something I needed a jumpstart in 2020 to just start the year off on the right feet to really be mindful and intentional about taking care of my body, mind, and spirit. And so, yeah, for 40 days, I read in the Bible for 15 minutes, not just a devotional, actual Bible reading. And then I kept a gratitude journal. I drank 60 ounces of water. I vowed to move my body for 30 minutes a day, whether that was walking, but usually as a mom, I'm. That 30 minutes is you done by that. Yeah, I was going to say, just chase my toddler around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. And so I think there were more, oh, I cut grains and dairy and alcohol and sugar. And I did it in, in the form of a, of a spiritual fast. So when I had cravings, instead, I would pray that the Lord would sustain me. And it was just miraculous. The last time I did it, I prayed specifically for a baby that we've been trying for. And on day 38, I found out I was pregnant. And then this year, the Lord has called me to something that I also do not want to say yes to. So I'm having to (laughs) be very consistent in obedience and walk in faith. So every time I've done something like this, it's been miraculous. And the Lord has shown up in ways I could have never imagined. So yeah. I love as you share your story. Obviously, you're a doer and a shaker and God created you that way. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to take you Chandler and use you. So, you know, (laughs) I love it. You showed up. Like we say to people, if you're going to ask God, like, God, I'll do anything to like know you more, serve you or like use me for anything. It's like, you kind of got to be careful before you pray things like that because God's like, okay, I will work (laughs) in that. Yeah, yeah. But we're big advocates of reading the Bible in a year too. We've shared multiple times like that was really revolutionary for our faith. So, and for our people that are always writing 
giving us like, I just don't have community. I'm listening from this place and I don't, I just became a Christian and I don't know anyone else. Your Bible studies are a great place to jump in and start just getting some kind of teaching. So there you go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We'll make sure to put all of the resources that you've mentioned, obviously, of our human trafficking conversation, but even your Bible study and things like that in our show notes for people to connect with you on and your personal Instagram so they can find you there. But we really appreciate your time today. Thank you. So appreciate your story. And we're really thankful for your just willingness to share. I'm so grateful to have had the chance to be here. So thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast. And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.